Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wise Men Say Preview Show with Jennings Mazda next to the Stadium of Light with the new Mazda 2 1.5 SE just 12225 0% APR representative Welcome along to the Wise Men Say Podcast Preview Show I'm Stephen Goldsmith and I'm not joined by Gareth Barker tonight but I do have a couple of guests in the studio with me Michael Loff of course one of the Wise Men Say team is with us as well you okay, Michael? Yeah, not doing too bad. Well, I wasn't until I came in here tonight, so we'll see how the next 45 minutes go or so go. You, you were doing okay until you had to come in here. Yeah. Well, so things are that depressing, you're not looking forward to speaking about your beloved Sunderland, is that it? Yeah, I mean, it once acted as a little bit of a therapy session, but now it's just gone beyond that. It's jumped the shark, is that what you're saying? The show. Yeah. The wise men say show has jumped the shark, is that what you're saying? You're putting words in my mouth now. But. <laughs> right, OK. We're also joined by Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo. Good to Good have you in all. as well, Phil. Good. Yeah, how are you feeling? A little bit better about uh, the prospect of being here tonight? Um, oh, yeah. Quite quite happy oh, to be here. There was a delay. There was a delay there. Well, I it's think not, we're... It's not we're, going well, this. I think it's, it's, it's not a good time, is it? It's mm. not a good time. Uh, I think we're in that phase where everyone can see what's coming. <laughs> but... Does it start with an R? It, yes, it does. You've read my mind. Do you know what I mean? Though we're just in that kind of strange phase where, it, at least when it comes around, you can get stuck into. I'd just uh, ask you. Yeah, that's great. Um, you can get stuck into what happens next and and all that. But at the moment, you're just kind of in this strange limbo where we're limping along to the inevitable conclusion. But we, mm. you know, we're not quite yet there yet. A conclusion mm. that only certain generations of Sunderland fans have seen. It's got some stuff to point out here. Um, yesterday's date, the 14th of March in 1987, which was 21 years ago, Sunderland beat Plymouth Argyle to go 15th in what is now known as the Championship on 39 points, with 13 games left to play. They finished on 48 points in a league of 22 back then and were relegated via the playoffs, finishing third off bottom. They'd only been in the relegation zone twice all season before the final game of the season put them there again. Sunderland have still only ever played one season in the third tier of English football. Some will remember the near misses to the third tier in 1993 and 1995, though you may be interested to know that despite going close, Sunderland were never even in the relegation zone for any amount of time throughout either of those seasons. Fourth of bottom a lot of it, but never in the relegation zone. The newer generations have never known Sunderland to finish below third in the championship in the last 22 years. So make no mistake about it, this is officially the worst team Sunderland have had in their 128 years of league football. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the show. Can, how's, how's that, eh? You can imagine how someone who 
left Cardiff City about 18 months ago feels at this moment in time. Well, we're, going, we're blaming you for it, Phil. I'm blaming myself. I'm, you know, the curse. You've come if, home for the job you always probably dreamed of. If, if people want to blame me, I'm fine with that. I'm uh, I'm low enough as it is. I might as well take a lump a little bit more on. But I mean, this this is, I guess that's a, a message to, to the outside world as well because Sunderland have almost become a figure of fun. And, and it's interesting to see some of the sympathy clubs like West Ham are getting for being outside the relegation zone in the Premier League. This, this is, it's the worst Sunderland team of all time, this. Isn't it? Indisputable. Certainly, certainly the worst in my lifetime, not just statistically, but, you know, just in, well, I mean, that says everything, isn't it, those numbers, but it's just, you know, I think the the thing that I find so depressing about it is that we, we went through that phase, didn't we, at the turn of the year where we talked loads about Five at the back, four at the back, four, four, two, and all this. And we've now reached the depressing conclusion where actually the squad is just so short and so imbalanced that actually these things, of course, tactics matter. I'm not saying they don't and that managers don't matter, but we have actually reached the point where it's not making any kind of difference. And no matter what team you put out, no matter what system they go out in, they're just not good enough. They're not, they're not tough enough. They're not physical enough. They're not quick enough. And they haven't got enough quality, and you know Saturday was just uh, another example of that. It was a very, very, very poor game between two very, very poor sides, one which Sunderland found a way found a way to lose it, which they have done all season. I think Saturday was the epitome of our season, and like Phil said, there we found a way to lose it. I mean, I wrote something the other day looking at purely individual mistakes, which have directly resulted in the goal for the opposition. And when I've looked at it all, and I'll conclude that we've dropped eighteen points from direct mistakes that have led to goals alone without even factoring in things like mixed chances, etc. So I think that tells its own story. QPR, as bad as we've been, as awful as we've been, we went into the game, a win would have taken us to within a point of getting out the bottom three and suddenly you've got something to build on. But like Phil says, we just we just find like new ways every week to lose a match and it's just becoming just soul destroying. It's it's remarkable we're still in touch, to be honest. Yeah. As well. I think that's what Phil alluded to earlier, is the fact that the mathematics maybe don't dictate that we're like that we are like absolutely screwed, but when you look at every everything in combination, is that nine games now without a win? Yeah. Just... The first half of the season, Phil, as well, we were playing these sides and we were we were better than them. Clearly, like visually, Sunderland were better than the majority of the sides that played. The goalkeepers cost a lot of points on that on that respect. I think the comp you know the confidence has spread confidence issues have spread through the team like wildfire, starting at the back, but it's more than that now, where the players don't look like they believe they can win a game of football. And, and that is not how it was at the start of the season. The decline has been remarkable. Well I think Ultimately, in reference to what you're saying there, I think through a combination of injuries and what happened, I think Sunderland are weaker now than they were going into the January window. I mean, I'm sure we all said it. I'm sure I sat in here and said it, and we all agreed at some point after the summer window shut that Sunderland didn't have enough up front, and that was with Lewis Graben and James Vaughan. And then, <laughs> actually, they ended up with a weaker strike force by the end of January. I know Vaughan, nobody really mourned that loss, but <laughs> Graben was Sunderland's best player by... An awful long distance. So, actually, I think when you add that to the injuries to, like, say, Gibson, McNair, etc., I think the squad and the team is actually weaker now than it was earlier in the season. And we're kind of seeing the fruits of that. It's just, 
you know, you're, you're asking Chris Coleman to, to try and win games of football with, let's be brutally honest, three kids up front. Now, Madger and Asoro have got great talent, and Asoro has been brilliant the last few weeks, the way he's taken players on, the way he's kept going. It's been a real shining light. But we're talking about three kids here, and if we compare it to some of the strike forces that we have elsewhere in the league, it's you know it's men against boys. It really is. Literally, and it it is, and and I think that's my big that's that's the big thing for me. I don't know I don't know what you do with this team because you've got a defence who we've seen all season a, a terrible on the ball, a goalkeeper, all the goalkeepers whose distribution is poor. But then you've got all your strikers who don't have that presence, they don't have that aerial threat, so you can't go direct. But you can't really play it out from the back, and that's I think what we're just left with this team that's just a muddle, no identity. Do you think they regret no letting Vaughan go? Like I said, people weren't exactly disappointed when Vaughan left, but they let him go before they brought a forward in. And he had a couple in mind who he wanted to replace Vaughan with. I know it's it's the case of we've all got twenty twenty vision and hindsight and stuff, but that question was being asked at the time as well. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure. I think I would still make that decision to let Vaughan go. To be honest, I, I don't fundamentally. I don't think he was very good. I think mentally, everybody could see. I mean, even from the celebration after his goal and Burton, everyone mm. could see that his head was had been had been moved from what had happened in the season so far. I, I don't think it was necessarily that decision. I disagree with. I think Grabber has been the bigger loss. I know there was a bit of noise from inside the club at the time that oh, we can do without him. You know, he's lots of penalties, lots of consolation goals. Well, I think actually we've seen in recent weeks what a good footballer he was, um, and I think the failure to replace him has has really cost them. And that really was was I think Short's last chance really to say, "Hang on, you know, it's time to time to do something." Um, and if she, and if he, I get, I don't want to go over all the ground here and start questioning Ellis Short's decisions and stuff like that. I mean, um, even as recently as last season, he's letting David Moyes spend thirty million quid on. Didier and Dong, which, considering he hasn't been given them one minute for Watford, as far as I know, going there on loan highlights what a poor decision that was. But it's one extreme, the other, isn't it? And it's you know any it, 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 he he was we were told he was asked to put money in, into things in January rather than wait till the summer. And he he just refused to do that. So do we hold much hope that um, he's going to do it in the summer? Because I think Chris Coleman being here depends on it. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, the only the only positive argument you could make is that you don't need a, the same budget to succeed in League One that you would need in the Championship. You I need mean, more than what we've spent this summer. Uh, you yeah. need more than what we've spent this summer, yeah. Um, at this stage, we, we don't know what budget that would be. But you wouldn't need a massive budget, you wouldn't have thought, to, to make a bit of a splash in, in League One. But, no, I don't think there's any indication, really, that you will do that. I mean, January was the moment, really. You look at it and think, we know the value of the club is is plummeting all the time. So you would have thought, well, that's the moment to protect your asset, really, by spending a little bit now to to protect the value significantly in the coming months. But he didn't do that. That tells you an awful lot about where he's at. The fact that, you know, Coleman hasn't had a conversation with him tells you an awful lot about where he's at. And unfortunately, that's just... A lot of the deflation we're feeling comes from that, doesn't it? Because when you have that lack of interest, leadership, direction from the top, you know that's why I think so many of us are sitting there thinking, well, "Where on earth do we go next?" Because yeah. we know that without without a change there, there's probably not going to be a lot of positive news around I the corner. I think that's definitely my biggest frustration. I think 
as Sunderland supporters, we've been over this so many times, we don't expect an awful lot. But one thing which I do expect is to be able to look through the club and to be able to say that everybody has tried their utmost to keep us in the division or to achieve the goal we set out to do. We saw it last season in the Premier League. That was one of my biggest bugbears with David Moyes. I know he had like certain um, detractors at the time, but I don't think he did his utmost to keep Sunderland in the Premier League. He didn't do anything inventive in the transfer market. His tactics were pretty pretty much non-existent. And then this season, we haven't learned any of their mistakes, like Phil just said there. Ella Short, he hasn't done all he can to make sure we're Sunderland are a championship club at the end of the season. And I think that's what's really frustrating. And as you said, Short, it's one extreme to the other. He tries something, he decides it doesn't work, and he just goes the polar opposite. And as I say, when you conduct yourself like that, it just doesn't leave a great deal of hope for anyone at the club, really. It's like, like we keep saying, it's just we're going down just a black hole at the minute, and there's no real sign of us like hitting the bottom so we can start progressing again. Whatever division we're in, I think we know what it's going to be, but whatever division we're in, Phil... I was just saying to Michael before, I, I don't think Coleman is immune from criticism. Uh, I think he's got some things wrong. Uh, I thought he would have get, got a little bit more from these players, if I'm being honest, but in absolutely no way, shape or form is any of this mess down to him at all. And it's important, isn't it, that he's given, if he, if he wants to steer, it's important that he's given a couple of, two or three transfer windows because everybody's seeing how how bad this rot is so that's going to take three months to put right is it yeah and and you know I've, I've written so much about this on on the last few months and I I thought Coleman would have them away from trouble by now absolutely no doubt especially after the Burton game I thought yeah great and it's been a massive disappointment not just the results but to see the way that the organization is disintegrated really from what we had in the early games where defensively very sound that's been disappointing having said that I don't think we've had even the slightest opportunity to see what Chris Coleman is capable of as a manager because of the circumstances he's working mm. in. The January window, you put a brave face on it at the time, but in retrospect, we can all see that it wasn't going to be anywhere near enough. And this squad, as, as I was hinting at earlier, how, how do you set the squad up? What way do you play with this squad? Well, there's no easy answer because it's not being built with a philosophy in mind, with an identity in mind. It's It's a mess of a squad that's been scrambled together out of desperation, out of going out and saying who's available, what can we get in without really a great deal of planning so as far as I'm concerned we're heading towards rock bottom we're going to hit rock bottom soon I think we all feel that and at that point you're going to have to completely rebuild you're going to have to start again personally, why not do that with Chris Coleman why not go to this guy who I think shows great strength of character, he speaks very well what he's done in the past suggests he can set the team up well um, I think he's as good as anyone to do it with, and at some point, I can't, my my kind of let's at least see what he's capable of. Let's give him a chance. Let's give him a chance to mould something. And if two, three windows down the line, then we still haven't got anywhere. Then yeah, at that point you can turn around and say, well, hang on a second. But at this point, as far as I'm concerned, we've learned very little about Chris Coleman because of the circumstances that he's been in. In an ideal world, if we were to get relegated, that's not an ideal world, obviously. But if we were to get relegated from that point, in an ideal world. What you might want is somebody like Chris Coleman having the pull to get certain players who say, oh, God, I mean, it wouldn't be questionable who that Sunderland would be the biggest club in that division. It's the second time they would have been there in the history. So we're going to ha- we're gonna be a big draw for players at that level. As you say, the budget might not be um, needed to be as big either. Yet, that all sounds great on paper and in theory, but I'm not going to somebody like McBurney, who's who's 
decided to go to Barnsley instead of Sunderland. Well, in fairness, McBurney was seconds away from he going was, yeah. to Barnsley in the summer. Yeah. So he showed them lightly in that way, hasn't he? He, d- he did. That deal was done. They fell through because of paperwork. So really what Sunderland tried to do there was to try to hijack the deal at the very last second of McBurney. But is it arrogant to suggest that Sunderland hijacking a deal previously, you know, in those circumstances, that would have that would have been a successful hijacking of a deal. You've got to, you've got to have mm. a bit of arrogance at times, possibly, I'm, and, and th- you know, throw your weight about Sunderland as a name compared to Barnsley with respect. Possibly, possibly. At the same time, I think Fletcher was Sunderland's first choice, and I think McBurney probably knew that as well. Now we can say clearly, maybe we'll say that's the wrong decision given <laughs> what's happened since. But the point I've made, I, I don't. It's McBurney was going to Barnsley and Sunderland tried to jump mm. in at the last minute McBurney kind of stuck to his guns so I don't think that's quite as simple as that um, but Coleman to, to get back to what you're saying would be would be a massive pull for players in in in, in League One and there are players at the club now who've come in on loan in January who are right, probably haven't had the impact we hoped but even they wouldn't have joined if it wasn't for Chris Coleman clubs who were sending their players out on loan want to send them to Sunderland because of Chris Coleman that was a massive factor in it so we need to try and break away from this loan thing next year no, but I'm making a general point about mm. how having someone of that standing particularly in League One is going to yeah. change the kind of player that you can get in um, I mean the thing is there are so many questions a new owner might come in and they might have someone lined up who they want to bring in and you know so there are so many things up in the air but certainly Certainly, I see no reason why why you shouldn't be we shouldn't be doing everything we can as a club to look at Chris Coleman and say let's give this guy a proper chance, let's properly see what he's capable of, rather than giving him one window where you know you're kind of trying to fix the leaks and, and he's had an injury crisis and then saying oh well I tell you what it hasn't worked out in this yeah. short period of time, give him a proper chance I think. No, absolutely, and uh, we'll get on to season tickets and stuff in a bit. But you'd think him just attaching himself to that is is a positive sign as well. You do really th- feel like he wants to get it right. Um, just going back to the uh, previous um, example of when we were relegated to the third division before the Plymouth game that I referenced there, uh, Sunderland winning the game to go fifteenth in the league twenty one years ago. There were ten thousand and sixty two at Roker Park that day. Which is just a little reminder to those who romanticised Roker Park. Things always weren't great there. Sunderland really did sleepwalk themselves to relegation that season. And you've got to remember how popular Laurie McMenemy was as an appointment when it was first made. So apathy clearly reigning there. Now, when Sunderland were in Division 3, I've just used the calendar reference uh, as a reference point. Again, this a similar date, the 19th of March. Sunderland were hoping to Notts County. Second in the league at that point, so not runaway leaders by any stretch. They were second um, for around most of March, and there were 20, 24,071 there. By the time they played the last home game of the season, they were just shy of 30,000 there. So history does show you that it's not necessarily about the division you're in, and you just put a good team good team in front of you, and the fans will go. So that is one thing to be positive about for next season, right? Putting a few runs together, you know, you know they'll, they'll come back, won't they? Oh yeah, of course, of course they will. It, it doesn't take a huge amount. I mean, if Sunderland were to go on a mini run and took it to the last day of the season, somehow I'm sure there'd be a big crowd there for the Wolves game. If if the current team showed they had a bit of fight about them and got a bit of direction going, yeah, I think you get a good attendance for the final day of the season. Mm. It's it's not rocket science, and we talk a lot about atmosphere and stuff like that. And, you know, it doesn't really take much. It just needs a good no. team that wins the odd game. It's it, we even, simple but hard to achieve I guess we even saw the Middlesbrough game there was a very positive atmosphere a very vibrant atmosphere that day and we were still in 
in a really awful position going into the game, but we started with intense scoring an early goal and the crowd was really up for it. And even when we went 2-1 down and 3-2 down, we stuck with them and we got that late goal. So as like Phil says, it really doesn't take a lot, which can't be the popular belief, actually. Yeah, but you do... Preston are playing well at the moment. We're going we're to get on to the Preston game um, specifically in a little bit. But when we come back, uh, we're going to have a look at some of your tweets. Sun FM's Wise Men Say preview show. With Jennings Mazda, next to the Stadium of Light. With the new Mazda 2 1.5 SE, just 12225, 0% APR representative. Okay, we've been asking some of you to engage with us on Twitter. And we're going to read some of your tweets. Now, a few people mentioning uh, the, the season ticket information. That's, that's, that's The club have done okay there for, for the season ticket prices for next season, brought them down. Uh, well, I suppose it's not really for me to say, to be fair, but... Um, uh, you're, you're a Sunderland fan, Phil. I suppose, yeah. Um, well, I, I used to sit in the Premier Concourse, so I would have been booted out <laughs> my seat if I was still there. Well, I don't get started on that. <laughs> Leaving the away fans up there makes the whole thing pointless. Carry um, on. I think, well, I think, I know the idea was that was to focus on um, people who have been season card holders through, you know, two of the worst seasons in the club's history, particularly at home. And obviously they've tried to do that with the, with the prices. Some of the family deals, you know, are, are fantastic, incredible value. Um, and they also spotted this huge dip in people who come out of the under-16 category and then have to go into under-22 and there's a big price leap and a huge percentage of people don't renew at that point. So that's why this under-18 category's come in as well. So I think that, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously it'll be up for fans to decide what they make of the price and what have you, but that was certainly the thinking behind it. Um, and, and some of the deals work out at a pretty decent value. Michael, as a South stander? <laughs> yeah, I'm quite pleased. I mean, I'll be paying them less than £14 for like per game. So you can't really complain at that. I mean, I know it's match their practice, but a bit of perspective on that, Gate said for an average home game for an adult is £15. So really when you even even though we are having desperate times, we're still two leagues above Gate said and we're getting and we're paying like a pound less a game to watch it for the cheapest adult t- season ticket, which you can't argue has been anything other than good value. And I agree with what Phil says about the under-18 price category. I think that's huge because we talk about losing a generation of support and that's one way to keep them. If they've gotten the habit of under-16, of going with a mate and having a having a good day out despite the result, if they're now able to keep that going, then that's another way to keep people going to the matches. And if we get them for four or five years during that period and then they're more likely to renew, and it, it just has a really good positive knock-on effect. And... I think the price freeze is really important as well. Yeah, for, for the next seasons. three years, yeah. I think that's really good because if we do see a climb and we get out of League One and we're playing some decent stuff in the Championship and things are looking up, then I think that's a good way to reward re- reward them the loyalty that's been shown. Definitely. I like the way we're all just talking as if we're in League One next year. Now. Only five points away or something like that. <laughs> we, we, look, we've all seen enough relegation campaigns. To know that we, we've we, done we this know, before, yeah. we, we, we know the team when we see it. And mm. This is one of them. Yeah. Oh, I thought you would take the spinner from the other side, saying you've seen us get out of it before. But you're just saying we. Well, we, well yeah, we, we haven't. But, the, but the, we've seen enough to know how bad the, this one is in comparison. The same thing stands, doesn't it? We've seen. We know what a team that could get out of it looks like. Chris Chris Dixon has done some maths for us, um, saying his season ticket renewal is three hundred and ten pound, about average. That means the first eleven thousand seven hundred forty-one tickets sold will pay for Jack Rodwell. 
you can't get through an episode without mentioning that with Jack, can you? Um, I'm down very much, by the way, Phil. Um, incidentally, that wages players wages would drop again because I doubt when Niall Quinn brought that in, League One was even anywhere near their thought process at the time. No, I, I couldn't tell you that for a fact, but I, I would don't see that being the case. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Okay, Dave Garden, if Barnsley win before we kick off, I can't see us winning. Not that I can anyway. We have to go for it and play attacking football. If we don't win and Barnsley do, then that's it. Uh, turn out the lights at the Sol. <laughs> Does anybody agree? It's, it's, it's hard to try and get away from this. Uh, so this darkness, Do you want mine turn the lights <laughs> off? <laughs> Somebody else on that front uh, would like to see a front four. Magidi, Azoro, Ajaria and Madja. I think Ajaria would benefit from being higher up with Pierce alongside him. It's interesting one of Jair, isn't it? Because he almost feels sorry for him because he's, he's, he shows for the ball and he and he asks for the ball. Probably not what we need at this moment in time no. and and it comes back to the to the loan thing, doesn't it? This, this is a cycle that's been going on for too long at Sunderland. Too many loan players, too many players who aren't ours. We're helping other clubs develop players. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Jair. I think he's a, he's a good footballer. I think for me, the big thing I think is that to me, thinks he's got a little bit more time on the ball than he has done and I think that's just a victim of coming out of under 23s and junior international football and the championship quite often takes one touch too many before playing the pass or tries to take another touch when he needs to shoot um, but yeah no it's it's absolutely right you know Sunderland's loan depend- I mean for me it's it's less the dependence on loans and more the fact that it's not targeted I mean there are a lot of teams who've made massive success out of the loan market Huddersfield last year is a great example but they knew exactly what positions they wanted. They'd yep. been scouting these players for a long time. They'd been in communication with these clubs well in advance of the window opening. So it, for me, it's not so much the loan thing. It's the it's the slapdash where Sunderland have gone after the loans that leaves you in this position where a couple of weeks down the line, a couple of months down the line, you're left with players where you think, well, actually, I don't really know where they fit. So I, I agree broadly, but I think it's more I think it's more about being a bit more targeted with it than anything else. Mm. Matt Anderson is reminding us of the teams we have left to play. Preston, Derby, Sheffield, Wednesday, Leeds, Norwich, Reading, Burton, Fulham, Wolves. Where are the points coming from? Won only five all season. No goals in the side. Five points from safety. Do we have any hope? And then he's adding that he thinks we'll go down and rock bottom. Anybody got their eyes on any fixtures? It's hard to do that with Sunderland, isn't it? Uh, you have the winnable home games like Brentford, and then they come up and turn you over. Preston are playing well at the moment, aren't they? It's a strange one because, like we, like we kind of joked earlier, we're all sitting here talking as if it's a mathematically done day that we're going down. But if it's a massive if, but if results go our way at the weekend and we win, suddenly you're two points off, and you suddenly look at those fixtures and you start to target points again. Inevitably, we'll probably lose the next match, but. But what I'm saying is, I think we as fans can sit here and talk about it being a lost cause and that, but the mentality of the club and the dressing room still has to be, look lads, if we can just get a couple of wins together, this is not insurmountable and we can achieve it. But as I say, sitting here now as like a fan, it's very hard to say a way out of it. Yeah, Matt Murphy agrees with you. <laughs> How do you think we'll fare in next season in League One, bringing League One up already like it's a done thing? Uh, half the squad are loans, our brightest youngsters probably sold off. Uh, John O'Shea cut them all finished without shots selling up it's a worrying thought we aside league champions in 10 years uh, get the service s- bus to away games s- s- selling young players off Phil where, where do you stand with that because I don't know you don't know for sure but it's not something they would need to do is it no I don't think they've really got that much value yet either to be honest I mean 
talking about playing Soros still only got two senior goals. Um, I know there's always a lot of noise around him. His agent doesn't help things. His agent he? clearly doesn't help things. Um, so I don't think we're at that stage yet. Um, maybe if they went on and had another good season, then it would be a different conversation. But we're, we're not at that stage yeah, yet. Could, First and foremost, I don't think they have the value yet. I think it would be daft to let them go at this stage. I do think if I was Chris Coleman, that would be one thing I would be saying, going into whatever talks we have at the end of the season, I'd be saying, look, if there's not going to be much of a budget here, at least you're going to have to guarantee me to have kind of the last say over players that are going to be leaving the club. Because without that, I mean, if we're just if we're going to put so much faith in Chris Coleman, then we have to show that in every sense of the word. We can't just say we have faith in you. We want you to rebuild the squad and then just pull the rug out from underneath. And we can't do that. At some stage, we need to really like back a manager, whether that's financially or in terms of like him having the final say over players that are coming in and out the club. Yeah, <laughs> and McNair and injuries haven't helped, have they? And McNair and Watmore, at least now you think because of their injury records, vultures unlikely to circle yeah de- that, well, that's that's a risk for anybody willing to, to part with money for one of those players for de- example. definitely definitely the case of what more you wouldn't see him going anywhere um and he would be something to watch in league one that would be something to look forward to mm. um mcnair yeah i think you're probably right um i just, i think really i think sunderland would also i think it would be down to them to be quite brave with mcnair they spent a bit of money on him and actually i think he could be worth it in the long run he's a player who could have a real bit of value so actually, I'd go the other way as well and say it's it's down to Sunderland really be quite brave there and say actually we're going to keep on from a little more, get him fit again and give him a full season and then he'll be a player who be very valuable to us and if anybody else wants him at that stage, you know it's going to it's going to cost them because I think we haven't really quite seen the best of him this season for obvious reasons but there are certain moments in games where you just think this is a guy who's going to be very good in the top two divisions for a long time because. Got a bit of vision, very strong, very athletic. So mm. those, those for me, those are the two guys. Touch wood, you keep them fit in either division. They're they're two players you build your team around for me. Few people are asking if Sunderland need somebody to fight their corner publicly. Niall Quinn, um, somebody like that to, to just come in. There's nothing really he can do, but to come and say something. I think we 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 are seriously lacking at the club. Somebody who cares about the club. There's well, there's nobody there, is there? I think there are a couple of people in the media team that support Sunderland, but that's it, really. There's no, there's nobody with a connection to the club. Yeah, I think I think there's a massive, massive, massive vacuum of Sunderland people in the club. I've said that for a long time, and you know, there's only really Borley there in a lot of ways. Obviously, mm. you have you know Jimmy Montgomery stuff does does a lot of match day things, but yeah, I think I think that's a, I think in the British game we don't do that enough. You look at other countries where if a player's at a club for a long time and succeeds, he walks straight into the into the backroom structure in Italy and Germany is something they've always done and I've always think it's a massive massive trick that Sunderland misses I've got abs- it's inconceivable to me that now Quinn I know he's got other business interests and what have you but people of that calibre it's not common for them to stay at the club I find that incredible well it's I mean you know it wasn't going to last forever with Niall and, and you know he obviously does he does he's, he's different things now but he he sold everybody including a multi-billionaire and Ella Short the dream of Sunderland and the analogy used was the magic carpet ride, wasn't it? And uh, you know, and uh, that, that's the magic carpets. <laughs> it's people, it's people, crashed to the floor people, now. People like I know you guys know very well. People like you know, even people like you and Brady, who speak so well about the club that you seems a massive waste to have these guys not involved in some capacity. To be honest, but to try and sell the club, to try and sell the club, to or you know, just to be just to be involved to bring that that passion and 
and that knowledge as well of their experiences I, I think it's I, I don't think they do enough personally I think, I think it's not only knowledge I think it's um, you hear a lot of people from the Peter Reid era and even people like you say around, like Kevin Brady who they quite clearly still have like, a deep root with like emotional connection to the football club and if you get people who are from the Peter Reid generation who have a bit of a winner mentality and who have a culture which isn't complete abject failure at the club. It will just give a bit of an injection of life into the place. And I think more than anything, I think that would be where they'll be best served. It just revitalise the place a little bit. Yeah, so we come on, Ellis. <laughs> yeah, like, he, like he's going to listen to this when he absolutely cares nothing all, uh, about Sunderland. Right, we'll come back. We're going to look at a previous game. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Against Preston, I'm going to ask you guys who played. Sun FM's Wise Men Say preview show. With Jennings Kia, next to the Stadium of Light. With their compact crossover, the all-new Kia Stonic 2 1.0 GDI, only 15995 Well, we do have to come back and talk about the game against Preston, so... We're going to take a break from depressing everybody, including you in the studio. And it's been a while since we've we've done this. I'm going to try and get you to tell me the team when we played against Preston in September 2004. You called the game, Mick, um, because you said it was the debut for who? Darren Carter. Right, so there's one player you've got straight away. Interestingly, uh, 24,264 there. Um, so just a sign as well that, you know, even though that wasn't a really bad Sunderland team... Interest levels, they don't know. It depends who the manager is. It depends who the players are, doesn't it, Phil? I wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, that for me was my first season was the first seventh season in the Premier League. Obviously, I was incredibly lucky. But I don't remember that Mick McCarthy area with any sort of fondness, to be honest. Mm. I mean, obviously, there were the years in the Championship that went up, which was great. But for me, there was... I kind of lost my love for it a little bit until Keane came back you know that was the that was the excitement that was a good time but the Mick years was kind of felt a little bit like purgatory to be honest mm. to me um, so you, you, you're right absolutely right in what you say um, Sunderland fans never really 
talk to McCarthy. I didn't. I didn't. Know, he's a lot easier to take to when he's not managing your club. When you see the odd tweet and he's made some comment and you sort of have a giggle and go, oh, you know, Mick lads, you know, great laugh. But when it's like your club that he's digging out and slagging off and being grumpy about, then it's a very different yeah. animal, isn't it? It takes some doing as well, doesn't it? it? It's too easy for, for somebody to point the finger from outside and say, your fan should get behind this person. But I mean... Ipswich fans to the man he's lost them hasn't he oh, some of the stuff he's come out this, this year is unbelievable he, at one stage he admitted that he wouldn't bring on I think Burst and Selena because the fans were chanting his name and stuff like I mean how true that is I don't know but he's, he's saying it pointedly to just antagonise the fans so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think um, yeah, I, I don't remember and some Mick people were calling for him to come back I mean that's the last character we need at the moment isn't it because he probably would come out and say, well, why are you not turning up or something like that, wouldn't he? Yeah, it's just funny because he, he, he very, very distinctly threw his hat in the ring, didn't he? Mm. After Grace and left, like, bizarrely so. And I remember thinking, you know, he talks about what a special time was and all that. And, yeah, there were some good times, but I don't remember it as a particularly brilliant time. No, even honest. though we did finish, to be fair, on the third and then won the league in the two seasons, he was in the championship. It just shows that you can't, always, does, work, you can't always work out a football fan. You know, no. they either get something, they're, they're behind something or they're not. Jeff Whitley, though. Is that one of your getters? Um, oh, Jeff Whitley and Darren Carter, surely not. Right, well, I'll tell you what, we'll start from the beginning. Uh, actually, I'll help you out, I'll give you the Preston team first. Andy Lonergan. Oh, Lonergan <laughs> There's a name for you. There's a name for you. Um, Graham Alexander, right back, who scored. That must have been a penalty, was it? Yeah, it, it was a penalty. Was, yeah. It was a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mick, Mick, no, he's, he suggested this, and he sounds like he knows a lot. He's like played the game over in his mind already. Um, Eric Scorer, John Curtis, Chris Lucchetti, Yol Mamwani, Dixon Atuhu. What, what a guy! Brian O'Neill, Richard Cresswell, who was one of those players who seemed to play for like a million years. Uh, David Healy for Preston. And Eddie Lewis, wasn't he American? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Right, so then, Sunderland. Don't want to tell him, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Phil, because I think Mick, uh, he's got this team tattooed on him or something, but he, I think he knows it. In, in, in goal? Uh, Poon? Yes. I thought it was Toby Myers. Oh, the there you go. Tell you what, at the first hurdle, Michael. Um, just going to see if that's a back four. That is a back four, yeah. Start a right back. Stephen Wright? Michael? You're nodding? Not yep. good radio when you nod your head, Michael. <laughs> I, I agree. Yes. You can you conform. Stephen Wright, yes. Left back? George McCartney. Phil? Yeah, George, George McCartney. George McCartney, yep. Centre-half partnership. <laughs> it's remarkable this was a championship. Winning a centre-half. Gary Brain. Gary Brain. Caldwell? And Steve Caldwell, yeah. <laughs> See, um, this is what I'm saying. They, they weren't great days. They really were not great days. <laughs> They're not. I'm trying to work out um, midfielders here. He's got, four cent- he's got four midfielders and three of them are central midfielders. Dean yeah. Whitehead, one of them? Yes, Dean Hul- Whitehead. Julio was left wing, wasn't Julio he? Julio was left wing, yeah. Well, we've got Darren Carter, haven't we? Darren Carter, who scored as well on his debut. He followed in uh, Stuart, Mr. Pendleton, he followed the rebound. Oh, in. really? He was a good player, Darren Carter. I expected more from him after that little cameo for Sunderland. So, yeah, so Whitehead and Carter, centre midfield. Arger on the left. Well, well, I don't know who played on the right. It's another centre midfielder. Is Sean Thornton? No, it's another centre midfielder. Thornton, you could get away with Thornton on the right. Uh, that's why I... No, 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 no. This is... I don't know how to, out of these three centre midfielders who's playing on the right. So it's definitely not, it won't be Liam Lawrence because he no. was a right midfielder. No, no, I don't know. Carl Robinson. Oh, dear me. 
I mean, what kind of formation he's got going on there is anybody's guess because he's got two centre forwards as well. So you can't even say, oh, it's a, a 4 5 1. Uh, Elliot two. scored two, didn't he? Elliot did score two. Oh, Friend scored. of the show, Stephen Elliot. Yeah. Mark Stewart. And Mark the Stewart, the other one, because he said he missed a penalty there. So that's uh, insight. So some of what our listeners who weren't around, yeah, who weren't bench. around when uh, Mick McCarthy was manager. Um, did you say you want to do the the bench? Bill. I just want to hear it. I, I well, you know the keeper. Your Poom played, Michael. <laughs> oh, keep Myra. up, keep up, Myra. I, yeah. I just refuse to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> friend of the show, Stephen Elliott was in the starting eleven. Another friend of the show was on the bench. John Oster. John Oster, yes. Uh, also, the player who John Oster once said was the worst player he'd ever seen in his life. Mark Lynch. Mark Lynch, yes. <laughs> Simon Johnson, remember him? Oh. Uh, you wouldn't have guessed that, so I'm just throwing that in there. He was pretty bad as well, wasn't he? And uh, another player who you mentioned, Sean Thornton, Lee Lawrence. Lee Lawrence. Lee Lawrence. Lee Lawrence. Lee Lawrence. was on the bench as well. That was only five on the bench in them days, wasn't it? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's like seven now. Uh, it's ridiculous, that isn't it? Political correctness gone mad, in my opinion. <laughs> 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 right. Well, I'm going to ask um, about who you think might play the weekend, what he might do. It does feel like it's past that point almost, doesn't it? Um, I think we, we we pretty much know who's going to be in goal, Phil, don't we? I would <laughs> I would guess... Uh, do, you want, do you want the full team? or Yeah, uh, if so you were to do that. My, yeah. my guess would be Camp, Matthews, Corne, O'Shea, Clark, Salt, Roviedo. So five, so three five at the back, yeah. yeah. Catamol, Ajaria, Honeyman, Fletcher, Osoro. That's my guess. Any advance on that, Michael? I think I agree. If that's the team he will play, but whether it's the team I would pick, there's a call. The... There's a call for Madger instead of Fletcher, isn't it? It's Fletch- yeah. This is not going well for Fletcher. This has it. No. no, it's not. And I still, I still feel the service to him is just absolutely non-existent. I agree, Paul. And I think I just honestly, it it drives me up the wall watching Sunderland just hoof the ball out from the back plays with the uh, number of appearances international appearances these guys have I just find it absolutely incredible I feel for him but at the same time there's a basic level that Sunderland fans expect from the centre forwards and that's to to scrap and and fight and um, whether Fletcher really has the appetite for that I'm I'm not sure I think Um, with Fletcher as well it's a little bit like um not the Jack Rodwell now where everyone just absolutely despises him, but remember a couple of years ago where if he was on the team sheet and you were in the pub, he would go off for gun and say Jack Rodwell starting and you would almost like debate not even going over the ground because you just thought, oh, we're already beat with him playing and psychologically everyone was just so down. I think that's the case with Fletcher now. I just think seeing Madge's name on the team sheet instead of Fletcher would just give the fans going to the game a little bit of a lift, whether you, that's right or wrong. You do feel like the fans would have more time for... People yeah. who belong to the club, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right, rightly or wrongly, and it might, Michael Cooney's one of the few people who's put this out saying I wouldn't bother playing any of the lone players. They've been worse than what we already have. I don't know if that's fully true, but you can see his point where if you look one eye next season, so um, he's named the team without any of the, the lone players. Um, Strijek, it's no, not. I, it's, I, I don't Str- see Strijek's making mistakes with under 23s. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he is. So what? What? I can understand because the keepers have been so bad. Why people would say that? But but the I, problem is, or if you don't watch the under twenty threes, all you'll be seeing on online is you'll see the penalty save against Newcastle, and people will be absolutely determined to embellish everything he does, which is good to see a basic throw him in the team. Like you know what I'm saying? Mm. Well, he calls for Strijek, uh, Matthews, and Oviedo as fullbacks. Don O'Shea, Cornier, 
and then Catamore, Robson, McGeady, McManaman, Azora, Magic, just players again who, who, who we own, I guess. Uh, Oviedo's the one who's not going to stick around in League One, isn't he? Well, I, I, to be honest, I don't think Oviedo's done much this season at all. No, I, I really don't. I don't think he's, he's got been, a little bit. Of, he's got a little bit of quality, but uh, for me, he is as culpable as anyone in that defense. Really? Is personally, I think his positioning is is very, very poor. I don't think he's particularly tough. I think Oviedo's been as comfortable. Phil, it's interesting. That's, that's it's, just my personal yeah, no, Listen, no, the guy's got a bit of quality, yeah. and actually, if we look at his output in terms of assists from set piece and whatever, it's pretty good. But for me, I would put him in with quite a few who've under, underperformed. Well, Coleman has this, dropped them yeah. on one occasion, I can think of. Mm-hmm. You, you certainly, we were speaking there about Coleman saying which players he wanted to keep and stuff. You can certainly see how um, you know that would be that would be a player we wouldn't let go. He's a saleable asset as well, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Michael, your thoughts on Oviedo? Um I would disagree with Phil slightly on that one. I just but I maybe think it's a little bit of perception when you're watching absolute dross week in, week out, then like anything which isn't complete dross, you're gonna kind of like really get behind it and think it's the best thing in the world, so that might be a little bit with Oviedo. But I just think that if we had a team that was semi competent defensively, then you would applaud his um attacking play a lot more. It's a little bit like the Patrick Van Anholt syndrome when we had Mvia, who was covering from all the second half of that season. Van Anholt looked brilliant. And then when he didn't have that cover, he was woefully exposed for his inadequacies. And that's what so much of football is about for me. It's very simple. You've got to embellish your own strengths and cover up your weaknesses. And for me, we don't cover Oviedo's weaknesses anywhere near enough. I think you need to take a collective responsibility for a player like that's feelings when he's so good at going forward and giving you things the other way. Okay. Um, anybody remotely confident for the weekend? Oh, the, sil- the silence. The silence is deafening. Pre- Preston are a good team. Do you know what that is, Michael? You mentioned uh, what was the English literature reference you made on the way over? Pathetic fallacy. Pathetic fallacy, which is, of course... Oh, for goodness sake, you probably be really on the spot Metaphoric there. language, yeah. using weather as metaphoric language. Yeah, so obviously... Um, so do, you know what, do you know what the silence is deafening is? It's, uh, yeah, it's a metaphor, simile. It's an oxymoron. That's a one eye. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Right. I'm going to call it. And uh, Sorry, I, I think I cut you off there, Michael, when you were saying something. Have you got anything you like to finish on? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, do you? We, we, we've seen Sunderland get out of positions that look worse than this, but I think we do all. At the back of our mind, no. Thanks for listening. Sun FM's Wise Men Say preview show. With Jennings Kia, next to the Stadium of Light. With their compact crossover, the all-new Kia Stonic 2 1.0 GDI, only 15.995. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.